Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm excited for our party this weekend. Oh, yeah. We're finally, as we're recording this, finally having our holiday party <laughs> after the holidays. In January. <laughs> but you know what? That's okay. Yeah. We we just, it's hard to organize for adult lives, mm-hmm. especially during the holidays. Oh, yeah. So, I'm excited because I... Like I said, I got you guys all, like, sentimental gifts. Aww. And I'm just really excited for you guys to open them. I got kind of lame gifts this year because I don't have a lot of money. Usually I like to get two gifts, like, mm. two things for each mm-hmm. person. But this year I only got one thing for each person because I'm poor. That's okay. It'll be fun, though. <laughs> um, I'm excited. I just love giving people gifts. Yeah. Yeah. I got Charlotte a gift. Oh, that's so sweet. When I went to go get bags for him, I tried to get like Christmas colors, except hers is like a baby shower bag Mm -hmm. because I thought it was cute. Yeah. I mean, you can only do that for so many years. Yeah. She's not a baby. So I get it. Yeah. I still have some of the bags from the baby shower and Uh I used those to put her gifts in. (laughs) And then promptly took the gifts out and put them back in the closet. So (laughs) memories. Still have them gonna use them till they aren't usable oh i hate whenever people give me gift bags and then they write my name on it oh yeah my love you parents love you a lot uh my mom and dad did that to me this year <laughs> they gave me this really cute bag and then they taped it shut which oh, i no. can t- get the tape off and i was like taking the tape off all nice and then right in the front it was like to casey and i was like <laughs> this is trash now <laughs> I could save this 50 cent bag. What are you thinking? <laughs> Unfair. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, well, happy fearsome Fridays, everybody. We are on Holy Gossip Girls. I'm Casey. I'm Faye. And uh, what are you drinking? I am continuing to drink water. <sighs> Me as well. Let's cheers. Uh. <laughs> Cowbell sound. <laughs> I was at Target yesterday. I just went everywhere yesterday. Yeah. And um, some kid had a cowbell. And they were like violently shaking it. Oh. I didn't see them, but I could hear it. Yeah. Why would you let your kid do that? I've seen cowbells there. Oh. But it was specifically for Father's Day. And it said something on it for fa- like number one dad. I don't know why it was on a cowbell, <laughs> but I remember seeing it because I wanted to get it uh-huh. and then take off the number one dad or like, I don't know, paint it or something uh-huh. and put something else on there. So my dad could take it camping because he's always the cook. Oh. And so it could be like the dinner bell. Aww. Yeah. Cute. And not the number one dad bell, <laughs> which would be fine, but it wouldn't go with the theme. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, I love Target. Me too. Except for their clothes, yeah. as we've discussed. But you know what? That's like where I got all of my maternity clothes from. Really? Yeah. Because they like don't sell maternity clothes anywhere. Rude. Yeah. The like maternity clothes section of Walmart is like, I don't know, like three feet wide. Really? And it's like back, you know, where there's, there's like all the, it's like in between like the bras and like the nightgowns. Oh. And it's like this tiny little section. I don't think I've ever even seen it. 
Yeah, you gotta look for it. Do they still have that maternity clothes store in the mall? It was like right next to Hot Topic. I don't know. I haven't been to the mall in a really long time. We should go to the mall. I miss Let's the mall. Go to the mall. Okay. Today. <laughs> Let's do it. You haven't seen that show, have you? What show is it? I think it was How I Met Your Mother. Oh, no, I have not. Really? Okay, so that song's from that. I really have to play it for you now. Okay. Because it's really funny. <laughs> uh, that show is pretty decent for like a sitcom uh-huh. that's like really easy to power through <laughs> and like you don't really have to pay a whole lot of attention to. Uh-huh. But also has like decent characters and nice like character development. Oh. Pretty good. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That was a fun little tangent. shift. <laughs> Let's get back to like this piece of shit. So we're on part two. So if you're listening to this, you haven't listened to last week's episode. Go ahead and listen to that one first because I feel like if you jump in now, it might be a little. You'll be confused. I don't know if you'll be confused. You'll just be like, what the fuck? That went to zero to fucked up real fast. <laughs> uh, last week we covered his early life. Sorry, we're talking about Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Night Stalker. Uh, we covered his early life and his first 11 crimes, crime periods. I don't know. Crime spree. I guess. His first part of the year that he was being a bad boy. I can't boy. believe this is a year. I know. I know. Terrible. And it's just crazy. It, but because it's so random, that it was hard for them to catch him because it, it, it didn't make sense. Yeah. Other than it was like in California, that was it. Yeah. Like if you live in a house, not even a house, if you live somewhere in California, uh-huh. you're fucked. If you're in California for any reason, fucked. Oh, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. So on July 20th, 1985, Ramirez purchased a machete before driving a stolen Toyota to Glendale, California. He chose the home of Leah Layla needing age 66 and her husband maxon such a cool name name. age 68 he burst into the sleeping couple's bedroom and hacked them with the machete then killed them with shots to the head from a 22 caliber handgun he further mutilated their bodies with the machete before robbing the house of valuables after quickie quickie (laughs) after quickly selling the stolen items from the needing residence, Ramirez drove to Sun Valley. At approximately 4.15 a.m., he broke into the home of... Oh, my God. I don't know if I'm going to be able to say any of these names. Of the Con- Convenant family. He shot the sleeping Chanrong in the head with a 25 caliber handgun killing him instantly then repeatedly raped and beat some kid which i'm assuming is the wife he bound the couple's eight-year-old son oh my god before dragging some kid around the house to reveal the location of any valuable items which he stole during his assault he demanded that she swear to satan that she was not hiding any money from him what does he do with the valuables he steals? 
it, I think he immediately pawns them. I feel like they would and be, then gets cocaine. I feel like they'd be looking for like when the ones where they're survivors or whatever. Yeah. Or even the ones without survivors. Police could go in there and be like, that TV's missing. This guy pawned it. Yeah. You would think. Yeah. Or maybe he's just selling it to like drug dealers. Maybe. Like straight up, like who, who who's got time for the middleman? He's like, <laughs> give me some cocaine. Here's a Rolex. Yeah. I don't know. You would think with that fingerprint, the fact that he's wearing those shoes, mm-hmm. and then like like you said, all the stolen stuff, like yeah. if it's so frustrating because yeah, it seems like they should be able to oh they should be able to like catch him yeah quicker than they do on august 6 1985 ramirez drove to northridge and broke into the home of chris and virginia peterson he crept into the bedroom startled virginia age 27 and shot her in the face with a 25 caliber caliber semi-automatic handgun he then shot chris in the neck and attempted to flee chris fought back well, wow. after being shot in the neck. <laughs> oh, there's a baby. I don't know if you can see her. She's so cute. Uh, Chris fought back while avoiding being hit by two more shots during the struggle before Ramirez managed to escape. The couple survived their injuries. Good for them. On August 8th, 1985, Ramirez drove a stolen car to Diamond Bar, California, and chose the home of Sakina Abawath. Cool name. <laughs> Sounds like I have like a really bad list. <laughs> or like baby talk. Abawath. Abawath. Age 27. And her husband, Elias Abawath. Age 31. Sometime after 2.30 a.m., he entered the house and went into the master bedroom. He instantly killed the sleeping Elias with a shot to the head from the 25 caliber handgun. He handcuffed and beat Sakina while forcing her to reveal the locations of the family's jewelry and then brutally raped her. He repeatedly demanded that she swear on Satan that she would not scream during his assaults. When the couple's three-year-old son entered the bedroom, Ramirez tied the child up then continued to rape Sakina. After Ramirez left the home, Sakina untied her son and sent him to the neighbor's house for help. Ramirez, who had been following the media coverage of his crimes, left Los Angeles and headed to San Francisco. On August 18, 1985, he entered the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. Peter Pan? <gasps> Peter Pan. I just realized that. <laughs> Peter Pan. I love that. He shot Peter Pan. How dare he? <laughs> My God. <laughs> anyway. He shot the sleeping Peter, age 66, in the temple with a 25 caliber handgun, which killed him instantly. He then beat and sexually assaulted Barbara, age 62, before shooting her in the head and leaving her for dead. At the crime scene, Ramirez used lipstick to scrawl a pentagram and the phrase, Jack the Knife, on the bedroom wall. What does that mean? I have no idea. Ramirez again left a shoe print at the scene that detectives discovered and matched to a specific pair of Avia shoes that was not common at the time. Uh Uh-oh. So this part is crazy, and then it gets handled very poorly. So, 
Lead detectives Frank Salerno and Gil Carrillo contacted the manufacturer of Avia shoes and were able to retrieve the soles. Upon the discovery of the make and distribution across the United States, only six of them existed in size 11 and a half. Oh, wow. With five of them being shipped to locations in Arizona and only one to a shoe store in L.A. Ooh. It was evident that the one pair of its size and kind in the state of California then belonged to Ramirez. Like, it was obvious. But they couldn't track it to Ramirez because it was, like, a million years ago before they kept track of customer information. Uh-huh. Which sucks. Yeah, really. Why is the shoe so rare? I don't know. <laughs> Limited edition. That's so strange, yeah. When it was discovered that the ballistics and shoe print evidence from the Los Angeles crime scenes matched the Peter Pan crime scene, San Francisco's then-mayor, Diane Feinstein, divulged the information, including the gun caliber, in a televised press conference. <gasps> the leak infuriated detectives in the case as they knew the killer would be following media coverage. <laughs> There's a baby. Look at her little bouncing head. Hi, baby. Oh, hi. <laughs> so sweet. So cute. Bye, little baby. <laughs> baby break. Baby break. All right, so, um, so the detectives were mad because they knew that the killer would be following media coverage, mm -hmm. which gave him the opportunity to destroy crucial forensic evidence. Ramirez, who had indeed been watching the press, dropped his size 11 and a half avia sneakers over the size side of the Golden Gate Bridge that very night. Finally. <laughs> he remained in the area few, for a few more days before heading back to L.A. On August 24, 1985, Ramirez traveled 76 miles south of Los Angeles in a stolen orange Toyota to Mission Vejo. That night, he arrived at the home of James, James Romero Jr., who had just returned from a family vacation. Romero's son, 13-year-old James Romero III, happened to be awake. While his family was asleep, James went outside of the house to retrieve a pillow inside of a truck, which was locked. When he was outside, he heard rustling noises. Assuming it was an animal, James went to investigate the noise. Oh, no. But he did not notice anything unordinary. He then went into his garage to begin working on his mini bike before hearing... I don't know why this kid's not asleep. <laughs> before hearing Ramirez's footsteps outside of the house. Thinking that there was a prowler, James, after observing Ramirez through his bedroom window, went to wake his parents. So he was like, in the garage, heard footsteps, went inside, saw Ramirez, and then was like, Mom, Dad, there's a man. There's a man. And Ramirez obviously fled the scene. James raced outside and noted, I'm assuming the father, James, raced outside and noted the color, make, and style of car, as well as a partial license plate number. Romero contacted the police with this information, believing that they had chased away a thief, which technically kind of true. <laughs> 
After this encounter, Ramirez broke into the house of Bill Carnes, age 30, and his fiance, Inez Erickson. Inez is such a cool name. It is. Age 29. Through a back door. Ramirez entered the sleeping couple's bedroom and awakened Carnes when he cocked his 25 caliber handgun. He shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his intention to Erickson. Ramirez told her that he was the night stalker and forced her to swear that she loved Satan as he beat her with his fists and bound her with neckties from the closet. After stealing what he could find, Ramirez dragged Erickson to another room before raping her. He then demanded cash and more jewelry and made her swear on Satan that there was no more. Before leaving the home, Ramirez told Erickson, quote, tell them the Night Stalker was here. So he's he's in charge of his own nickname. Now, well, I think this was after they put it on the... Oh, they called him that? Yeah. It, they must have. Erickson untied herself and went to a neighbor's house for help. Surgeons removed two of the three bullets from his head, and he survived his injuries. Good for him. A lot of them survive. A lot of them do. A lot of them don't, though, yeah. too. <laughs> um, I guess let's take a break here. That is officially the end of his crime spree. <sighs> Thank God. And um, I guess whenever we come back from break, we will move on to the rest of the story. Okay. All right. Be right back. BRB. And we're back. Hello. All right. So this section is called the identification of Ramirez. Erickson, his last victims that he had left alive and told them, tell them the Night Stalker was here, were able to give a detailed description of the assailant to investigators, which helped a lot. The police obtained a cast of Ramirez's footprint from the Romero house. The stolen Toyota was found abandoned on August 28th in Koreatown, L.A., and police obtained a single fingerprint from the rearview mirror, despite Ramirez's careful efforts to wipe the car clean of his prints. How is he so careful wiping his prints, but, like, he can't brush his teeth? <laughs> 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 it's got selective caring i guess so uh the print was positively identified as belonging to ramirez who was described as a 25 year old drifter from texas with a long rap sheet that included many arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations the identification of ramirez's print was described as a near miracle as the system used to identify him was recently installed, as well as the fact that the system contained fingerprints of criminals born after January 1st, 1960, which was only a month before Ramirez was born. So anyone oh. before 1960, they didn't bother putting in. Wow. Or like maybe they hadn't put them in yet because uh -huh. it was a new system. Mm -hmm. On August 29, 1985, law enforcement officials decided to release a mugshot of Ramirez 
from a 1984 arrest for auto theft to the media. And the Night Stalker had finally had a face. Nice. At the police press conference, it was announced, quote, We know who you are now, and soon everyone else will. There will be no place you can hide. <laughs> Which is like, it's, badass. Yeah. <laughs> Batman. All right. This next next oh my god this next <laughs> this next section is called capture and it's obviously my favorite part of the story but it's the part I was telling you guys about this is why I wanted to tell the story because it's so fucking cool yeah all right on August thirtieth nineteen eighty five Ramirez took a bus to Tucson Arizona to visit his brother. Unaware that he had become the lead story in virtually every major newspaper and television news program across California. After failing to meet his brother due to him not being home. <laughs> can you imagine like literally going to a different state, knocking on the door? Oh, I guess they're not here. And then going back to a different state. Stupid. So stupid. What a dumb time. <laughs> Ramirez returned to L.A. early on the morning of August 31st. He walked past police officers who were staking out the bus terminal in hopes of catching the killer should he attempt to flee on an outbound bus or into a convenience store. Oh, sorry. And he walked into a convenience store. Mm -hmm. After noticing a group of elderly Hispanic women fearfully identifying him as El Matador, literally meaning the killer in Spanish. Ramirez saw his face on the front page of the newspaper, La Opinion, with a headline calling him Invasor Nocturno, the night invader. And fled the store. Cooler. I know. <laughs> and fled the store in a panic. After running across the Santa Ana freeway, he attempted to carjack an unlocked Ford Mustang, but was pulled out by an angry resident, a uh, Fastano Pinion, which like badass. Yeah. Ramirez ran across the street and attempted to take car keys from Angelina Del De La Torre. The woman's husband, Men Manuel De La Torre, witnessed the attempt and struck Ramirez over the head with a fence post. <laughs> In the pursuit. This is Richard's very bad day. <laughs> Richard's no good, very bad <laughs> day. <laughs> good. <That's> so funny. <laughs> A group of 10 residents formed and chased Ramirez down the Hubbard Street in Boyle Heights. The group of citizens forced and held Ramirez down and relentlessly beat him. Good. At around 8 a.m., police were called over a disturbance in the area with few details with indications of a fight. Police quickly arrived and found that Ramirez was severely beaten, unarmed, and took him into custody. The crowd grew to several hundred people and was becoming unruly as they took him away. Good. I just think that's like so badass yeah. they, they like, should have let them let them beat him for a little longer a little bit longer yeah, yeah. i mean i'm sure they were afraid he would accidentally get killed <laughs> which sounds like then you have to arrest somebody else yeah all right the trial and conviction jury selection for the trial began on july 22nd 1988 at his first court appearance ramirez raised a hand with a pentagram drawn on it and yelled hail satan <laughs> 
On August 3, 1988, Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard Ramirez planning to shoot a prosecutor with a gun. Oh, wow. Oh. Hey, Fuji. Whoa. Oh, Jesus. Okay, bye. He just came in here with the zoomies. <laughs> oh. oh, he's back. <laughs> Welcome back. Okay, Fuji, bye. This is... <laughs> oh, my gosh. What a mess. Um... Let's see. Shoot the prosecutor with a gun, which Ramirez intended to have smuggled into the courtroom. Consequently, a metal detector was installed outside and intensive searches were conducted on people entering. On August 14th, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors, this is crazy, Phyllis Singletary did not arrive at the courtroom. Later that day, she was found shot to death at her apartment. The jury was terrified, wondering if Ramirez had somehow directed this event from inside his prison cell and whether he could reach other jurors. So everyone's like freaking the fuck out. Yeah. However, it was ultimately determined that Ramirez was not responsible as she was shot and killed by her boyfriend, who later committed suicide at a hotel with the same weapon. Crazy. But still. Yeah. That'd be so scary. So scary. The alternate juror who replaced the woman was too frightened to return to her home, which makes sense. Yeah. On September 20th, 1989, Ramirez was convicted of all 43 charges, 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. During the penalty phase of the trial on November 7th, 1989, he was sentenced to death in California's gas chamber. He stated to reporters after the death sentence, quote, big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. <laughs> what a loser. The trial cost $1.8 million, which is $3.93 million in 2021 dollars, which at the time made it the most expensive murder trial in, his- in the history of California until... The O.J. Simpson murder case in 1994, which is so kind of cool to to think about. Um, By the end of the trial, Ramirez held fans, had fans. Ew. (laughs) Yeah. People were obsessed with him, and he was fucking disgusting. (laughs) Uh, He had rotting teeth. Gross. So. He had a lot of fans who were writing him letters and paying him visits. Beginning in 1985, Doreen Loy wrote him nearly 75 letters during his incarceration. Freak. In, in 1988, Ramirez proposed to her in, in October 3rd, 1996. They were married in California San Quentin State Prison. For many years before Ramirez's death, Loy stated that she would commit suicide when Ramirez was executed. However, however, that very first murder I told you about of the nine-year-old, it wasn't, he wasn't convicted of that until 2009 Mm -hmm. because they couldn't match him with DNA evidence. Like it was a, it was something that happened after the trial. Uh So after the DNA confirmed he had raped and murdered a nine-year-old, she um, left him. Okay, that's your 
that's your line. Mm-hmm. That's the line you can't cross. Mm-hmm. Which at least, at least she had a line. At least she had a line. Um, at the time of his death in 2013, he was engaged to a 23-year-old writer. Ramirez died of complications to secondary uh, complications secondary to B cell lymphoma at Marine General Hospital in Green Bray, California, on June seventh, two thousand three. Thirteen. Hurt. He had also been affected by chronic substance abuse and chronic hepsis C viral infection. Psychiatrist Michael H. Stone describes Ramirez as a made psychopath as opposed to a born psychopath. He says that Ramirez's schizoid personality disorder contributed to his indifference to the suffering of his victims and his untreatability. Stone also stated that Ramirez was knocked unconscious and almost died on multiple occasions before he was six years old, and as a result, later developed temporal lobe epilepsy, aggressivity, and hypersexuality. Not an excuse. Not an excuse. And my sources, again, are Wikipedia. Well, I wish I could say that was fun. (laughs) But it was interesting. (laughs) It was interesting. And like I said, it has, out of all, like, the endings of these, like, big, big stories that Uh we tell... This one is one of my favorite endings because it's just like, I've never heard of something like that. Yeah. Where, like, they were literally like... The whole town got together to beat him. Yeah, they were just like chasing him through the, like, the streets of a neighborhood. And like, it's it seemed like the way I envision it is like in a movie where like, you know, he's like on the bus and he yeah. sees like the... Looking around. Yeah, like his face on the <laughs> newspaper and then like there's... The old ladies that are calling him the devil or whatever. Yeah. And then he gets out and there's police over there and he starts running and he tries to steal a car (laughs) and the guy hits him over the head with a fucking whatever. Yeah. It's crazy. I love it. It's like, it's almost like too fantastical to be real, but it is real. Yeah. (sighs) And, And he deserved so much more. Yeah, really. Beating. Because he's a piece of shit, and we hate him. Sucks. Anyway, that's that. Um, I guess guess that's that, right? (laughs) All right. um, uh, Do you have anything happy to say? I've got a really fun story for next week. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) And you guys can, too. We'll see you guys next week. Follow us on social media. Email us. Um, what you're doing for Valentine's Day at unholygossipgirls at gmail.com and leave us a review, check out our merch, do all the things, and uh, don't be a piece of shit. Yeah, it's easy peasy. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.